we say today, still, uh, little quips and little sayings uh, come from the Word of God. But this is one of them. Uh, sour grapes, sour grapes. Something didn't go your way is what we mean by that. And you, you're out of sorts if something didn't go your way. And uh, so the proverb here, this, this is supposed to be a wise saying, right? Uh, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. So in, in, the, the, the gist, if you will, of the proverb was this, I'm suffering because of my daddy. My dad did something dumb and I'm suffering the consequences. And uh, uh, it was, uh, it was a, a victim mentality. I'm a victim because somebody else did something wrong or left something undone and, and now I have to pay for it. I'm the one that has a bitter taste in my mouth. My dad's one ate sour. I didn't eat sour grapes. He ate sour grapes. And I'm the one with a bitter taste in my mouth. And Ezekiel, the man of God, in verse number four, verse number three, he said, As I live, saith the Lord God, direct from the Lord, ye shall not have occasion anymore to use this proverb. Cut that out. That's what he said. Stop that nonsense. Stop this victim mentality that somehow your life is not perfect because someone else did something wrong. Now listen, if you can blame the people that came before you for the, the lot of your life, then the people coming after you, they got a lot more blame to lay. We, 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 we are the bl- most blessed nation on the face of the earth. And yet we, ha- we have so many whiny babies in this nation. Million dollar paid whiny babies. I want to speak to you on the subject this morning. Bible victims. Heavenly Father, would you please, through the power of the Holy Spirit, take what you've laid upon my heart and the meditations of, of, of my heart on your word and translate that to the minds and hearts of your people this morning And help us, Lord, to leave here humble and grateful and excited to be alive and happy to be saved. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. We spent a little over a week in Honduras, about a week in Honduras this last summer with a group of, I think it was 38 of us, and we, uh, it was a wonderful experience and got to minister to many, many people, saw quite a few folks saved. And um, it, was a, it was a great experience. And, uh, but one, one thing that we experienced that, that uh, it was totally unaccustomed, something with which we're totally unaccustomed, was the driving in Honduras. Can I get a witness here now? I see some... Heads going up and down, and uh, I was in I was in one of the vehicles with uh, Brother Nelms, who 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 led the group for us and so forth. And he said, uh, "It's just a single yellow line. It's all over the country. Just a single yellow line." He said, uh, "He said they say in this country that yellow line right there is the longest suggestion that anybody's ever seen." And uh, and that's really that's about all it was. It was not much more than a suggestion. And I, and I mean, we're, we're in a mountainous ter- territory. We're, we're curving, you know, back 
switching back around mountains and, and this and that. And, and it was not uncommon for someone to be drifted over that yellow suggestion line into your lane on a blind curve. I mean, it was not uncommon. And it was, it was, like, it was like mayhem. And in fact, so, some of our folks almost, they didn't lose their salvation, but they almost lost their salvation from the airport uh, to, the, to, to our accommodations. And, uh, but anyway, but now, this is what was amazing to me. In that kind of driving for a week, narrow roads, narrow passages, cars just darting in and out, motorcycles darting in and out in front of you and doing whatever they wanted to like there's no rules of the law. I saw only one time in that entire week. Now we were all, <laughs> we are praying. Our prayer lives were greatly increased that week. But this is the amazing thing. Only one time did I see a person go, ah. In all of that madness, nobody was mad. Nobody was angry. One guy. I mean, I mean, you know, somebody cut off in front of you. you know, here, somebody cut in front of you like that, and they cut in front of you and then stop. You know, uh, XX, exclamation point, asterisk sign. Anyway, uh, but for whatever reason, not there. Am I telling the truth, Brother Kevin? It was, it was like, why is this whole country angry? And I've been meditating on that. And you know, I, I think this may have something to do with it. The, the more spoiled you are, the more you think you deserve to be spoiled. The more comfort you enjoy, the more you tend to think you have a right to be comfortable. The more plush, the more uh, conveniences that you have, the more you tend to think you should never be inconvenienced. Now, the truth is this. We're the most stressed uh, company. (laughs) Uh, We're the most stressed country, I think, probably in the world. We have the most, we have the most to be stressed about. And it's interesting to me that, 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 that our abundance and and the goodness of God, we, we may call the blessing. I know the blessing of God isn't always just this material blessing, but we count them among our blessings. Amen. And the blessings of God, and the conveniences, and the comfort that we enjoy, uh, 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 it, it, it's, it's incredible. There's where else can you go in the world? If very few places you could go and enjoy the same level of comfort and convenience and abundance that we enjoy, and yet it seemed to me by observing the peoples of Honduras, that we are much quicker to become dissatisfied and irritated and angry and irate. Now, maybe, maybe I don't know if they ever heard of road rage in Honduras. Where's the Spanish speaker? Road rage. Someone translate road rage for me. Uh, Rudy, how do you say road rage? They don't know, they don't know, <laughs> there's no word for it. <laughs> uh, my point is this. We're so comforted, so convenienced, so blessed, we get to the place where if our blessing or our comfort or our convenience is interrupted, all of a sudden we think life's not fair. 
right here in the middle of a holiday and I have family over and my microwave quit working. Really? God, why me? We, 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 we get caught up in a victim mindset that everything to go our way that somehow life's not fair and God's mad at us. Now, I'm going to tell you something. We're so blessed. We're so blessed. We're so blessed. We're so blessed. God's been better to us than we deserve. Amen? Amen. We want to be victims. We want to pout and, and, and think we have a right to pout because something didn't go our way. Disappointment is a very real thing. Num- numbers, numbers, numbers of folks in this room. I realize, carry an extremely heavy heart because of disappointment. I have uh, made a little friendship. My wife will go shopping at a place where she shops. And uh, and uh, so I'll hang around, sometimes sit in the car, sometimes I'll go in. But I made a little friendship with a lady uh, I, I don't know for sure her age, but I would I would think about 80 years old, something like that. And when I go in the store, she speaks to me, I speak to her. And so I uh, uh, usually find her at the jewelry counter, and I just go over and chat with her a little bit, talk about the things of the Lord. And uh, and she'll say something to me. You know, she'll see my wife come in, see my girls come in. She'll give a little piece of advice. She'll talk about the goodness of God. And we just fellowship. We, I, I don't know anything about her uh, up until the other day. Knew nothing about her background, nothing about her church affiliation, nothing. I just, you could see the presence of God in her life, the joy of the Lord on her face. And evidently she saw a little something in me because she's born to fellowship, but we talk a little bit. And the girls spend dad's money, and, and I'm over there fellowshipping. And I found out something this week. That little lady's a bright spot in that store. So happy to be born again, happy to be on her way to heaven was a pastor's wife for 50 years and was betrayed. I was shocked. When I realized the heavy heart that dear lady carries, and yet every time I've ever crossed paths with her, she's as happy in the Lord as anybody you ever met in your life. She knows something about disappointment. Many, many here all of us to some degree. But many here know something of disappointment. The temptation, of course, for us as it is for every generation, we're all living in a broken world. And the truth is we expect, a little, we expect probably too much out of this broken world we live in. We expect too much. I bought a car for $100. You've heard that story many times. Uh, back in college and... Uh, and uh, it, it uh, had a hole, rusted hole in the in the floorboard, literally. And uh, we had little pieces of carpet and mats piled up on top of it so you didn't die from carbon monoxide poisoning while you were driving down the road. But you know what? I never expected a lot out of that car. A hundred dollars, I didn't expect much out of it. It was kind of broken up when I got it. And you know what? Let me tell you something. You and I were born into a broken world. We're born into a broken world. And sometimes being born into a broken world, we expect it to run, just, just, just purr right along. Everything's supposed to go. It's never supposed to knock a piston. Uh, never supposed to have a flat tire. Never have to have a cracked windshield. But listen, we were born into a sin-sick, broken world, right? Yes. 
And I, I, I think in every generation, and maybe even more so because of the abundance of God's goodness in our lives, we have a tendency to think that somehow this blessing is ours by birthright, and it should be ours, and that, and that yes, we understand there's suffering in the world, but for the most part, we're so far separated from it, it's hard for us to even truly comprehend that level of suffering, even though we know in our minds that it's happening, yet we've never experienced it, and so we go on, and what do we complain about? We complain about the weather, we complain about the temperature, we complain about a flat tire. We complain about a microwave that didn't work. We complain, and 90% of our complaining is about the conveniences in our life that have been interrupted. When truly God's people are suffering all over the world. Let me give you some potential victims in the Bible. 15 years old, maybe 16. A teenage boy was kidnapped. The Bible describes him as smart, Handsome, great people skills, solid convictions, and tremendous personal resolve. Pretty good commendation for a teenage boy, would you not agree? And yet, he was kidnapped. He was trafficked into another country for a profit. He was then forced into slavery in this foreign country. He was subjected to inhumane treatment, rendering him unable ever to have a child. His former identity, the name in which he was given at birth, was concealed and was given an entirely new identity. But as a slave, his character won him the confidence of the most powerful people in this foreign country. That character and that favor from the leadership elicited cruel jealousy from his peers. And they plotted to have him accused of treason. Their plot was dishonest, but it was successful. And he was sentenced to an unusually inhumane execution. He would be fed alive to hungry lions. But I searched the book of Daniel and I have a hard time finding a sour attitude. I have a hard time finding complaining. I I don't see him taking a knee during the national anthem. I don't see him whining about his wages. I don't see him with a placard marching in the streets about how his people have been mistreated and how his people deserve to be treated better. What I do learn about him, twice in Daniel five twelve and 6, 3, that he is known for having a great attitude. Here this young man who lived into his 90s, his whole life is characterized. His, and this is, this is not God's people saying this about him. This is the worldly folks say this about him. He has an excellent spirit. He has an excellent spirit. One of the kings, just a heathen king, he didn't know anything about true God. He's trying to describe this young man. He said, it's like, it's like the spirit of the gods is in him. <laughs> he didn't know how to say it. He was so fascinated, this heathen, unsaved heathen king, was so fascinated with this young man who became an adult man, who continued with a good, sweet spirit. He was known for a great attitude. He was known for strong convictions. 
As a young man, the test came as soon as he'd been kidnapped and trafficked and taken to a foreign land and subjected to inhumane treatment and made a eunuch. Now then, a test would come, and in that test, he would be, uh, 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 he would be commanded to, to, to break his convictions, to drink wine and eat meat that had been so, uh, uh, offered to an idol. And young Daniel said, I'm sorry, I can't do that. I worship Jehovah God. I cannot participate in anything that would associate me with idol worship, but the, and I can't do it. I'm not going to drink the wine. I'm not going to eat the meat. And, and, and he, he had that resolve. He said in chapter 1 verse 8, he purposed in his heart he wouldn't do it. And then he went and very wisely with that sweet spirit said to the leader of the eunuchs, he said, if it'd be all right with you, I'd like to have a different diet. The man said, I can't do that. Everybody's got to do the same thing. He said, would you just give me this opportunity? Give me, my friends, a 10-day test and let us prove to you the wisdom of what we say. He said, you got 10 days, but if it doesn't pan out, you got to do it. And God blessed those, 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 that, that, that brief period of time. Uh, 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 they came back ten times better. They came back ten times better than their peers in that t- period of time. And, 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 and he was known, a great spirit. He was known for strong convictions. He became known later in his life for his prayer life when his detractors and the naysayers wanted to do him in, wanted to get rid of him, wanted to accuse him of treason. They said that the only way we can find an inconsistency, the, uh, uh, the only way we can find to, to, uh, uh, to ensnare him is through his loyalty to his God. And so they got the king through, uh, 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 through dishonest means, got the king to make a decree that you couldn't pray for the next 30 days, anybody except the king, da, da, da. And Daniel said, Daniel chapter 6 verse 10 said this. He went and did like he always did. He went and knelt down three times a day and prayed. That's what he always did. He said, it might be a law against praying. It might be a law for praying. He said, no matter. I don't pray because there's a law for it. I don't pray because there's... Uh, I stop praying because there's laws against it. I pray because the God of heaven hears and answers prayer. Amen. He became known for his prayer life and lastly for his wise counsel. He would serve. The Bible records four kings. There's a little, little search in history books. This week, uh, not history books, but uh, history Google. Uh, and, uh, and some historians say he served as, as, as many as six other kings that are not mentioned. I don't know the truth of that. I know he served at least four kings and three empires and lived into his 90s. <laughs> no victim. No victim. That don't sound like a victim to me. Stolen, kidnapped, treated inhumanely, enslaved, and yet... He came out a victor. Well, we'll have to take that candidate off our list. But here's another candidate for victimhood. She was nowhere near as well known as Daniel. But she suffered much the same fate. The Bible doesn't even tell us her name. It just calls her a maid. But as a little girl, she too was kidnapped. And by the way, kidnapping a child very likely meant that the adults in the household were slain and very likely could have meant those children witnessed the slaying of their own family members if you can think of just the trauma of that alone. But she was kidnapped as a little girl. She too was trafficked into a foreign country and sold into slavery. She became a a maid to a wealthy, well-connected wife of a top military official. She wasn't that far from home only about 150, 150 miles from home. But she lost all of her freedom, lost all of her family. 
this was her new life. Certainly she could be a victim. I mean, if anybody had a right to complain, it seemed like this little girl would have a right to complain. If anybody had a right to be bitter, it seemed like it would be this little girl. Would you not agree with that? If anybody had a right to be, it would be her, sure. And yet, you know what? Her master, the man who bought her, the man who enslaved her, became sick. And what did she say? She said, oh, I wish my master could meet the man of God back home. If he could meet the man of God back home, you know what? He could get healed of this sickness. Here, this little girl is known for two things. Number one, her compassion on her slave master. Think of this. Her compassion on the man who enslaved her, who purchased her, who trafficked trafficked her. That, That man, she had compassion on him. And number two, for her confidence in God's man, Elisha. And as a result of her not being a victim and not griping and complaining and being bitter and angry against God, as a result, and because of her comments, Naaman, the husband of that maid's, the wife of Naaman, the maid who served the wife, Naaman heard about that. He headed over to Israel. He looked up at Elisha and he went down begrudgingly to the old dirty Jordan River and got in it and dipped seven times just like God had told him to do through the man of God and he came up that last time and his leprosy was completely healed his skin was like it was when he was a little baby hey listen why I tell you why because somebody who we would look at their life and say you have a right you, 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 sour grapes sour grapes you, you've been mistreated uh, you've been you've been horribly treated you've been suffered disappointment your life has not gone at all the way you thought it would you have a right to be angry you have a right to be bitter but no she wasn't she was humble she was grateful she was a servant she still had confidence in God and God's servants and she had compassion on those who mistreated her not a victim a victor I'm going to strike her off the list but I have a third candidate for victimhood this young man a teenager grew up in a broken home he had Older brothers who picked on him quite a lot. In fact, they were envious of him. Being young, dad favored him. and It was very conspicuous. They hated him for it. Over time, that hatred, that, that bitterness, hatred and bitterness became a crime against this young man. He was kidnapped by his own Brothers, he too was trafficked into a foreign country. He too was enslaved. While there, he walked with God. While there, because he was the right kind of young man, he became the object of temptation. When he stood against that temptation and would not participate, that enraged the tempter, who then falsely accused him And as a result, he was falsely imprisoned as still just a young man. Can you imagine 17, 18, 19 years of age, kidnapped, sold into slavery, forced, no rights, no human rights, treated without, uh, as a slave, without rights, 
and then falsely accused, and then in prison. And I would say, my goodness, a young man stolen from his family, sold into slavery, no rights, and falsely accused. Oh my, this young man has a right to be upset. This young man has a right to be bitter. This young man has a right to be upset with God. But this young man was known for two things. He was known for this statement, the Lord was with him. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph in that pit. The Lord was with Joseph when he was sold to the Midianites. The Lord was with Joseph when the Midianites sold him to the Egyptian captain there in the Egyptian army, Potiphar. And it was the Lord was with Joseph in Potiphar's house. And the Lord was with Joseph when he was falsely accused. And the Lord was with Joseph when he went to prison. He went to prison. He's a prisoner. And God's presence is in his life in such a powerful way. The prison warden respects this young man so much he starts giving him responsibility. And this young man literally reforms the prison. He's a prisoner. He's probably no more than 20 or early 20s at the most by this time. And he reforms the prison. The prison warden doesn't even know what goes on in his own prison. This young man's in charge of it all. He's not bitter. He's not a victim. He's a victor. He's known for forgiveness. God providentially brought him out of... God created a problem to promote a humble young man. And he brought Joseph out of that prison, set him before the Pharaoh. And God used Joseph to influence that man and that nation and to save many lives. When finally he reconnected with his brother, after thir- his brothers, after 13 years, sold into slavery at 17. Married with a son and another one. And 13 years after that, sold into slavery by his brothers. They come back into his life. And he struggled with it. I believe Joseph struggled with it, if I understand the text correctly. I think he struggled with it to a degree. But then in the end, we find him weeping his head on his brother's shoulders, embracing a kiss to his brothers and forgiveness. Joseph is known for the presence of God and he's known for forgiveness. He was no victim. He was a victor. Let's mark him off our list. But I have one more. A sure candidate for victimhood. An extremely trying time came into the life of this young wife and mother. A famine came. Now, think for just a moment. A famine, especially in an agricultural society, a famine meant a financial crisis. A famine meant a physical crisis. A famine meant an emotional crisis. Financial, physical, emotional, all in one. In this crisis, her husband's faith became weak. And he moved his family away from the place of God's blessing, Bethlehem, to a bad neighborhood. Not that far away. One day's journey, in fact. Simply because he thought his financial prospects would be better, he left the place of blessing. 
Sadly, this young wife and mother lost her husband as he died out of the will of God. The sons, while out of the will of God, met and married unsaved girls. And then, we know not how, both sons died outside of the will of God. Ten years after leaving the place of God's blessing, a broken-hearted and bitter middle-aged widow finally heads back home. She does not conceal her bitterness. It has become her new identity. Call me not Naomi. Call me Mara. Sadly, she seems to implicate God for her dire circumstances. She says in the first chapter, the 20th verse, The Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. The Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. She says in the 13th verse, God's hand is against me. By the way, that's a bad place to be, isn't it? Do you see her? Standing at a cemetery in Moab. She's just a one-day walk back to Bethlehem. Just a one-day walk. Get your Google map out. Not now. (laughs) Ask Brother Google. Can you see her there at the cemetery? Bearing the last of her two sons. Perhaps a headstone for her husband, Malin, Chilean. And she says to her daughters-in-law, I think I'm going to go back home. Y'all stay here. Y'all stay here. Your family's here. Your God's here. Your religious affiliation is here. All things for you stay here. Now you talk about being in a bad, bad, bad place. Naomi, her heart is broken. Her view of God is distorted. God's against me. He's dealt bitterly with me. Her discernment is all messed up. If she could salvage one thing from this mess, it would be, you girls come with me because I left the place of blessing. I never should have. You ought to come with me. Let's go to the place of blessing. I'll show you how life can really be in the will of God. And she didn't do that. Her discernment was all messed up. She is, I guess, our best candidate for victimhood. But she makes up her mind to start going the right direction. I didn't fix everything at one time. She was at a pretty low place. Seems to me she's miffed at God. She's grieving. She's brokenhearted. We understand this. And yet she says, I need to get back to the house of blessing. Bethlehem, the house of bread. I need to get back. And she starts heading the right way. Amen? Amen. Now let me tell you something. You might be on your way to victimhood this morning. You might have ill thoughts of God in your mind and heart. God doesn't love me. Why did he he treat me? He's dealing harshly with me. Why is God treating me this way? God's against me. 
You're not telling me God loves me. God's against me. He's for other people, but He's not for me. You might be where, where, where Naomi was. But you know what you can do? It won't fix it all. It won't, but you can start going the right direction. Amen. You can start going the right direction. And she did. She did. Listen to me. She left one day's journey, Moab, back to Bethlehem. And in three short months, in three months, her daughter-in-law Ruth meets Boaz. They become married. And Naomi has influence over the precious baby that God gave to Ruth and Boaz who was in the lineage of the Christ child. God took this unsaved Ruth. Her sister turned back to the world, but Ruth said, I'm going with you. Entreat me not to leave thee. Where you're buried, I'll be buried. Your God's going to be my God. And though Naomi was far from God and a great candidate for victimhood, she still had a connection with God that this unsaved daughter-in-law could see. And Ruth said, I want to go. I want to know what Bethlehem's like. And they went back together. And when she got into town, folks whispered, said, is that her? She said, yes, it's me, but don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. I'm bitter. And she, uh, she said, I'm bitter. My life is bitter now and she but she went back she went back she went back and almost right away they begin to see the hand of God and the kindness and the grace of God and the book of Ruth is a story of the grace of God and it closes with a beautiful story of a grandmother with a little baby boy in her arms and she's nursing this baby boy who's the progenitor of the Christ child oh listen to me she who became a victim was once more a victor Amen. And I got news for you your circumstances, your pain. I seek not to diminish this morning, but I do seek to turn your heart and focus to something greater than your pain. You see, the victim says, life's not fair. The victor says, blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquities, for he has given me less than my iniquities deserve. And as for you, who did me wrong, you meant it for evil. But God meant it unto good. You see, the victim says, it's not my fault. The victor says, it's of the Lord's mercies I'm not consumed. The victim says, no one understands. The victor says, we have a great high priest who's touched with the feeling of our infirmities. And my pain is common to man. The victim says, I don't fit in. The victor says, I'm accepted in the Beloved. The victim says, God doesn't love me. And the victor says, I'm loved with an everlasting love. And underneath are the everlasting arms. And I'm the apple of his eye. And he proved his love when he gave his son to die on the cross for me. The victim says, I'm all alone. And the victor says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Frontwards and backwards says the same thing. Thee forsake nor thee, uh, nor thee leave. Never will I. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Oh, the victim says, I can't take it. The victor says, there's no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Amen. He will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. The victim says with Job's wife, why me? The victor says, why not me? Shall we receive good and not evil? At the hand of our God. 
all of our candidates for victimhood don't make the cut. They all failed at victimhood and all were victors in the end. Would you be a victor? Walk with God as did Joseph. Would you be a victor? Don't lose your faith in God. In God's providence over people and circumstances. In God's plan. And say with Joseph, as for you, you meant it for evil, but God meant it unto good. Would you be a victor? Stand for truth. As did this little maiden girl, we know not her name, unashamed in a foreign land to say, my God's the real God and he's got a prophet over there back home and if you really want to get healed, you need to go see the man of God. Stand for truth. As did young teenage Daniel on purpose in your heart that you'll not defile yourself with the things of this world. Would you be a victor? Set your hopes and affections on things above. Stephen, the martyr, is being pummeled with stones. He spoke with such power, the Bible said they could not resist the power with which he spoke, the power of the Holy Spirit upon his preaching. And as they pummeled his body with stones, the Bible said his face shone like an angel. He's being killed. And his face shines like an angel. He doesn't raise his fist saying, I serve you faithfully. This is not fair. How could you let this happen to me? No. With the face of an angel, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Even in death, compassion and forgiveness on his lips. Would you bow your heads, please?